Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonsense and Noise, a podcast about the queer person of color, pop culture, and media experience. I am your host, Nathan Cato, and it is a lovely Sunday afternoon slash evening. Uh, We're recording today on March the 19th, and you'll see that I am alone again today. Um just just another solo episode so um yeah i just actually got back um a little bit ago from uh the gapimni queer asian workshop um that was centering around uh consent um gapimni stands for the gay asian pacific islander men of new york um and it is a group that is trying to focus on addressing the needs of um queer asian men in new york city and trying to provide that community so it's really cool to go to that workshop especially given um that i wrote an essay about uh sexual racism back in may of last year um so it was really cool to go to that and just sort of talk with other asian men about their experiences um if you've been keeping up with the podcast and or my life you know that i don't really have a ton of um connections in the queer Asian community that are immediately accessible to me. I feel like a lot of my queer Asian friends um, are mostly women and are also mostly based on Twitter. Um, so it was really cool to actually like be in physical space with these people and, and, and talk about our experiences. Um, we were talking a lot about um, just uh, experiences with like hooking up and um, sort of the gray area of consent when it comes to queer nightlife and how um, some clubs and everything like when you when you go into a club like the um, you know let's say the response to someone really attractive like groping you or something is different than when it comes to someone who you don't find as attractive and I know that like I've seen um, thoughts about this from people that I follow on Twitter. Um, it's not something that I'm necessarily thinking about all the time, just because I don't feel like I'm in those spaces a lot. But um, yeah, it was really cool to um, talk about experiences um, with other folks in, in real life. Um, and I, other than that, I've been just really busy with work, um, which is kind of what I say all the time. But like, I know this... Um, sort of these past two weeks have really slammed me with work. Um, my company ended up going to the, um, or not my company, but like my group was in charge of leading an effort to go to, um, talk to the FDA about one of the projects that I'm working on. Um, and so I had to do a lot of like work for that. And then, um, after that meeting with the FDA, basically my project expanded in scope. So I've been just really busy with, um, getting all of that stuff together and just making sure that it's all like working. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been really busy with work. And so as a result, like just feeling, um, not like I have enough bandwidth on like the evenings on weeknight evenings or even like during the weekends to like get in and record so that's why hopefully hopefully this episode makes it out before the end of the month that's my goal um just because uh yeah i'm trying to keep this on a monthly cadence um but yeah work has been keeping me pretty busy for better for worse um and then of course i've been just doing my usual gaming um i have um, been playing mostly Octopath 2 as well as some Overwatch and Valorant. Um, been playing Overwatch with friends. Valorant has mostly been a solo endeavor, um, but you know, I 
I, I've been trying to play that a little bit more just because I feel like the skills that you uh, practice in Valorant tend to be more applicable in Overwatch than vice versa, um, just because of how the game works. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to play more Valorant. And also, there's a new character out in Valorant, and uh, the way that Valorant works, you have to... Um, unlock characters as you go um you have to like spend maybe probably like a couple hours or so um to uh to do that so um yeah i put in some time um to try and get the newest agent unlocked his name is gecko and he's got um a ton of little friends um and actually valent has done like pretty well in terms of like the um person of color representation on their roster um it's pulling from like global like the the quote unquote team pulls like globally so you've got um like jet from south korea phoenix from the uk um astra from ghana sage is from china yoru's from japan um then you've got brimstone and viper from america you have uh, rays from brazil uh killjoy from germany etc etc so like yeah you can look at the roster if you want it's like really global um and there's also queer explicit queer representation there as well killjoy and rays are canonically a couple um and uh i would really love if they confirmed that phoenix and yoru were a couple just because that's uh, personally how i feel in the um retake cinematic so if you're if you're curious about that i'll link that in the episode description so you guys can take a look and then tell me on twitter or something if you guys think that uh yoru and phoenix are dating so um yeah that's sort of how i am so we'll just launch right into pop culture updates so um yeah just because this is later in the month um a lot of the games and the movies that i'm going to be talking about are going to be uh sort of like released already um there is one movie that i'll be talking about um that is uh that theoretically had its premiere at sundance but um that's obviously a very limited crowd so uh but yeah we'll get into that later so the three video games that are coming out in march that i am interested in or have my eyes on or on my radar uh the first one is wolong um and that is uh that came out on march 3rd for pc the xbox series as well as PS4 and 5, um, and it's a Souls-like game from Koei Tecmo set during the Three Kingdoms period in China, where you're fighting not only people, but also demons and, like, magical creatures and stuff, um, and this did pique my interest just because it looked really cool, um, I don't think I'm actually going to end up getting it at any point in the future, just because I, um, the if i see souls like in the genre that is kind of a turnoff so um just because like i don't necessarily want my games to be hard for the sake of being hard like sure i do like a challenge but i also don't like like to keep throwing myself against the wall um so yeah that's that's my thoughts on that um i mean it does look really cool um and i think this is sort of in line with um, the, uh, like, what Koei Tecmo puts out from, like, the Dynasty Warriors franchise, um, but, like, you get to explore a little bit more, um, instead of doing a Dynasty Warriors-type game. So, that's Wolong coming out on March 3rd on PC, Xbox, and PS4 and 5, um, in case you need spelling on that, that is W-O-L-O-N-G. 
The next game is Fatal Frame Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, which came out on March 9th on Switch, PC, Xbox, and then the uh, PlayStation 4 and 5, and it is a survival horror game. Um, this is, I think it's supposed to be like the next entry in the series, um, but this game was based on the um, premise of like you're trying to solve a mystery and you can see ghosts. Um, and talk with them once you've taken pictures of them with a special camera. Um, so I am interested in this just because, like, it looks really interesting. Um, and my only context with this franchise is really the, um, <laughs> the assist trophy from Super Smash Bros. Uh, so I just, I don't know, I think it'd be cool. Um, I'm certainly thinking about checking it out, but I also have like 9 million games that I need to play still. So, um, who knows if I will ever get to it. That is Fatal Frame Mask of the Lunar Eclipse, which came out on March 9th. Um, and then the final game that I, uh, was on my radar is Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon, which came out on March 17th on the Switch. Um, and this is an entry in the Bayonetta franchise, which is, um, this game is acting more as a prequel, um, where you get to play as a young Cereza, who's the titular Bayonetta, um, and solve puzzles and battle with, um, your demon companion, whose name is Cheshire. Um, so that is all the video games that are coming out this month. Um, and then as far as movies on, of note for this month, um, the first one is Creed 3, which came out on March 3rd, and that stars michael b jordan and jonathan majors um just another entry in the creed series um from what i can remember from the commercials um basically like someone who i guess the titular creed grew up with um is like turning against him um and trying to like belittle him or something like that so they duke it out in the ring um and then the next movie, there's not really too much more I have to say about that. Um, the next movie is um, a Disney Plus uh, only release. It's called Chunk and Dunk, and that came out on March 10th. Um, it's starring Bloom Lee as Chang, Ben Wong as his friend Bo, and then Zoe Renee as Christy, who is a love interest for Chang, and then Marty Ma as Chen, um, who is Chang's mother. Uh, and the whole premise of this is like a little high school, um, high school coming of age slash like love story. Um, Chang is a a uh, really big fan of basketball and he ends up making a bet that he can make a slam dunk and impress his crush and take her to prom um the only thing is chang is only five foot eight which coming from somebody who is shorter than five eight i guess actually no i've i've met up with people who are five eight and that is still like not it's not short but it's also not tall um but yeah anyways that's uh chunk and dunk um but basically along along the way of him like trying to uh i guess make his goal achieve his goal um he ends up learning more about his heritage as well as his mother um so that seems like it could be a really cool interesting story um maybe i'll check it out um but that is chunk and dunk coming out on march 10th chang is spelled c-h-a-n-g i'm pronouncing it um the way it should be pronounced. Um, and then the last movie, this is coming out further in the future, um, but this is called Past Lives, um, and I saw the, an ad for this on Instagram. It's an A24 movie, so think of everything everywhere all at once in terms of just, like, the sort of studio 
quality, um, but it's called Past Lives, and it is getting a limited release on May 19th. This is what I was talking about a little bit earlier, where uh, there was a Sundance premiere, um, and, you know, there's a very limited... Uh, audience at Sundance. So, um, but this is a romance story starring Greta Lee as the character Nora, and then Teo Yu as the character Heisong. Um, and they both play childhood friends who are separated when Nora's family is forced to leave South Korea, or I don't remember, I think it actually might be just um, Nora's family leaves South Korea and they're immigrants to the United States. Um, but then they're reunited 20 years later. Um, and Nora and Heisong were very close and deeply connected when they were kids, um, so this is basically just like a rekindling of an old flame and just like trying to figure out um, how how to like navigate this relationship now, uh, 20 years later. Um, it's important to note that Nora is like, I think she's engaged to her fiance or something at that point, um, so yeah, it's just like sort of like exploring that relationship and how um that sort of connection is like it, how to continue that 20 years later so that is past lives once once again coming out in may uh may 19th with a limited release um i saw the trailer on instagram um i'll put a trail link to the trailer in the episode notes as well um just so you guys can check it out um i know when i watch it i'm probably gonna just sob in the theater it'll be great um so that's it on movies and that's it for the first um first segment of the show so i'm gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with main content all right and we are back from the break um so this week uh we're going to jump right in with another video game topic but this time more of a like review and just impressions of a video game um and this is i guess somewhat timely since i just finished it um and i was really excited for it and you might be able to tell from the podcast title but um we'll be talking about forespoken today um and just sort of like going over my thoughts and feelings and like impressions and how um you know like diversity and representation kind of plays a role in this game and everything um or i guess like in how it was perceived and received in the public and everything so um just to refresh people's memory i think people were um initially excited about forespoken because it looked like a western style rpg put out by square enix which um, you know, Square Enix is a Japanese publisher, and so they tend to put out um, Japanese RPGs over Western RPGs. Um, so this is a, a huge shift in what Square Enix normally puts out, um, and this was partnered with um, Luminous Studios, and, um, you know, they overall did a pretty good job. They delivered on creating this really cool open world where um, you get to run around and they're... Um, guiding concept for movement and combat was that it should be fluid, it should be smooth, it should be really just easy to flow between things, um, should be easy to traverse the world, should be easy to fight. Um, and so I think on those particular things they really delivered, um, but I know the thing that people were really like harping on and by people, I really just mean, like, cishet white gamers who were talking about it on Twitter. Um, they were really harping on the dialogue and the characterization of Frey, the main character. And, um, you know, they were like, oh, the dialogue is bad, it's cringy. And um, 
I know several people who I follow um, who are non-white gamers were like, okay, can you please define what you mean by cringy? Um, and they were like, oh, the dialogue is immature. Like when, when some people were able to like actually articulate what that actually meant to them, they mentioned the dialogue seems immature, seems really snarky, seems really like mouthy. Um, and luckily somebody had the ability to say like, um actually this is uh this is exactly the same as um deadpool like you would not complain about any other like cishet white man written this way who is appropriately snarky and mouthy and whatever you guys would be all over this shit um so that's sort of the main critique that i saw um at least from white gamers um now, the other critique, which holds more water, um, is about the character Frey and how she was written. So, um, before I get into that, just a quick overview of the game. This is high-level synopsis, which um, I think uh, there's there's only one spoiler that I will say I um, drop in this, which, if you're playing the game and paying attention, I think once you hit halfway through the story, um, it's or really actually fairly early on into the story, um, like maybe chapter four or five, I think you can probably pick this up. So, um, but yeah, there's warnings. There are spoilers um, in this episode. So, just high level synopsis: uh, Frey Holland is an orphan who grew up in the foster system in New York City. Um, she was found near the Holland Tunnel, um, wrapped in a blanket that said Alfrey, and so that's her name. Um, and then her last name comes from the fact that she was found near the Holland Tunnel. Um, the Holland Tunnel is actually a real life place in New York City. Um, I actually happen to live near the Lincoln Tunnel, but there are a couple tunnels that um, lead out from New York City and into New Jersey. The Holland Tunnel is uh, further south on the island of Manhattan connecting to New Jersey. So anyways, um, Frey was found near the Holland Tunnel, um, and then she's put into the foster system because she has no parents. Um, and then after leaving foster care and graduating from high school, she runs into issues with the law trying to make ends meet and trying to save up money to leave New York City. Um, and so that's sort of like the first couple chapters in the story dealing with like, this is sort of the stage for um, what Frey's life looks like in New York City, just all of that. Um, and then one night, um, as she's getting ready to leave Manhattan, she ends up finding a mysterious bracelet that transports her to the magical world of Athia. Um, and the game goes into like very classic um, call or like hero's journey. Um, and Frey really tends to stay on the beat of Heroes Call Denied, i.e. like, I'm not the hero, I'm not the chosen one, um, I just want to be a regular person, um, I just want to live my life. And in this case, um, that denial looks just like, hey, I just want to go home. Um, I don't want to be, like, in this really chaotic place, I just, I would just like to go home. Um, so... Uh, yeah, in order for her to go home, she has to, um, basically save Athia with her powers, because there's, um, there's something that only she can do in, in that world, essentially. So, um, that's the high-level synopsis. Um, we'll start off with, like, the bad part of the game, um, which is not really the dialogue that she has with the, um, magical bracelet that she finds, um... It's more actually the fact that 
Frey sometimes feels like a character of black people, um, and Frey is uh, is mixed black, um, and it is sometimes very obvious that she was written by white people. Um, I have in my notes here just, like, cyborg booyah energy. Like, if you guys remember um, Cyborg from Teen Titans and his catchphrase was booyah, um, like, generally black folks in real life do not do that. Um, like, you know, it's very reductive and takes people, uh, takes characters down to just a flat one-dimensional stereotype. Um, Frey luckily is, doesn't have a catchphrase per se, but she does maintain a sort of like rough and tumble language as well as just like using slang all the time instead of like or not not in like a bad way as much as it's just weird like she only calls shoes kicks um and uh yeah there i don't know it's just like i've seen complaint the only reason why i bring this up is because i've seen complaints from black gamers on twitter who say like hey um this character is like very clearly not written by a black person and that is um not doing her a service like this character could be a lot richer if she was written by a black person and so um with that i agree like there are definitely some some dialogue beats where it really shines through like oh this is just really like um it just feels um kind of silly and reductive um and like i know that frey is young she's i think she's like 20 or 21 in this um but also at the same time like i don't know having that level of like stereotyped dialogue just doesn't feel good so um yeah i think that is an area of improvement for the game in terms of the writing um additionally i do think that frey's characterization feels really inconsistent um as i mentioned before frey is an orphan um she has apparently no connections um no family no extended family no nothing in um new york city on on earth um and so it is understandable that she comes to athia and is just like what's going on this is crazy i want to go home i don't want to have any more part of this um but as the story progresses um and especially as she's exploring the world um there's never really any um resistance let's say to her um exploration and her sort of like building a bond with the people that she meets and um just like the world in general um so it's just really weird that um over the course of the game really up until like a very like critical story point um Frey sort of like bounces back and forth between oh this is like an interesting place and i'm like having a decent time to like i hate it here i just want to go home um and being selfish um i do understand that like the character grew up in the foster system and i think that um you know a lot of trauma happens in the foster system and some people can emerge from that and um end up being very um they're they're looking out for themselves they are independent and 
um, they don't tend to like to rely on other people because trusting people has only gotten them in trouble or has exacerbated their problems. Um, and I think Frey falls into that um, sort of characterization or like that's the inspiration. It's just like she's been burned so many times um, it no longer behooves her to be nice to people. Um, she can't see folks offering their help and support without an ulterior motive um and that you know that comes from a very real place and also at the same time like i would imagine that someone who has who really genuinely has nothing to return to like her only sort of anchor point in the human world is her cat um and i mean one can say that that's enough um, and also, on the other hand, like, over the course of her journey in Athia, she's connecting with people. She's connecting with, um, like, one of her friends that she, or one of the friend characters that she finds earlier on. She's got, like, kind of a mentor of sorts. Um, and just, like, the pretty much every human character that she finds, she's connecting with on a certain level. Um, and... As I mentioned, her, like, banter that she has with um, the magical bracelet cuff over the course of her adventure sort of builds this impression that um, that she's somewhat enjoying herself and that she's ex- enjoying, like, seeing the world and, like, with a, a cautious optimism. And there's also, um, there's some warmth in her interactions with people. Like, she is, she is concerned with getting home but also like there are several beats where um somebody is injured or somebody needs help and like she's reluctant but then for the most part she'll go through with like you know what fuck it like i will help this person um and i think it's really really great that the character gets to see that level of exploration and like be able to say like oh you know this didn't really work out too well in the human world but like in athia maybe it's different um so she she does that several times like over the course of the story and it's enough to where you reach the climax um there's like a huge argument that she has um and basically ends up storming off because she's just like you guys were selfish. I knew this was the reason why you wanted me to save the world. Um, I'm not going to do it. This is, like, not my problem. Um, which, like, the the subject of the, um, well, I guess here's a spoiler, is, like, um, she gets into an argument with one of the, one of her friends, and it's over her friend's father's death. Um, the father character um, was doing research on the magical portals, that uh, allowed Frey to travel into Athia. Um, so as a result, she was really relying on him to be able to help her get home. And so I understand that the character needs a moment and a story beat to grieve the possibility or the the, the death of the possibility of going home. Um, and I think like a black writer would have grappled with that differently because. Um, like what I what I put together and what I sort of pieced together is this is a very uniquely black story in that you know similar to um, black people being taken from Africa and spirited away to this um, new land where they are treated terribly. Um, there are parallels to Frey's um, 
Frey's journey into Athia. Uh, she doesn't have any way of getting home, and like that is a level of of trauma and uh, that that sort of like losing the possibility of going home and returning to life as she once knew it. Like I think that is you know a very the, grieving that loss is a very valid story beat. And I wish that um, that had been handled better. Um, like I said, there's that parallel. Um, and I think that black folks would probably, or black writer would have probably honored that more um, than having what happens is like, so Frey's mourning the loss of that possibility. And then her friend walks in on her saying that um, and is just like, my dad just died. Like, can you have a heart? And then Frey ends up saying like, you know, oh, I knew that you were out, like you had it out for me. Um, and basically like turns on her friend because she's, you know, they're, they're both grieving, um, the loss of somebody who's very important. Um, one of them, and it's important because for one of them, this character is important because it's her father for the other character. It's important because, um, this person represented her way home. Um, and, so that's I, I can under I think I could understand more if like the friction between those two like pushing towards the next story beat played out differently, um, and I do think that a black writer would have been able to um, do that a little bit better than the way it was. But um, yeah, that like that happens, and then phrase storms off and is like really upset and whatever um and then she um ends she she's still upset and then like the next major story beat happens and then she sort of like catapults back or like you have this sort of period of um really seeing for yourself what the truth behind the story is and um i think like that part is really well done um and that's like that story beat kept me like really wanting to go and and continue playing more and more. Um, And then you end up at a choice, basically like you can either go back to New York city or you can continue. You like basically give up your possibility of returning home or Frey gives up her possibility of returning home and saves Athia. Um, And, there's one case or one choice that feels the most genuine to or the most true to Frey's character, and that is saving Athia after everything. Um, but it was just sort of weird how the story like really wobbled back and forth between like I hate it here, I love it here, I hate it here, I love it here. It wasn't ever really consistent. Um, and maybe that's just because, like, that was supposed to show that the character is really just indecisive on what she wants, and she's still trying to grapple with her new surroundings and her powers and stuff, um, but also, at the same time, I just sort of wish that the writing was, would show that better, um, especially in this game, like, you are running around by yourself, um, like your character, there's no, um, there are no characters that join your party. It's just Frey running around by herself. Um, and Cuff is the only person that really interacts with her on, or person quote unquote that interacts with her. 
on a regular basis. And so when she banters with Cuff, there's a lot of sort of like warmth and like sarcasm. And I never really got the feeling that she disliked it in Athia. Um, at the beginning of the story, that shines through a little bit more because there are a lot of beats of like, why are you so anxious to get back to New York? And it's like, oh, this world is absolutely crazy. It's bonkers. Like, I don't, I can't do this. Like, I need to go home. Um, but then as the story progresses and she is like continuing in her, in her journey, um, that level of like reluctance and like desire to go home, like those banter pieces like end up dropping off a lot more and granted like I did end up having banter turned down to the lowest setting because oh man the banter is between them is like annoying and constant I will say that is a valid criticism that people had um I don't think it was like even really articulated that well by folks online but like um yeah, the, the back and forth between Cuff and Frey is a little insufferable. Um, but that's not necessarily because of the content as much as just how often it happens. And I can understand if it was happening a lot and like each line was different and new. But the thing is, as you're running around this huge open world, um, the banter does not really change. It's like the same recycled like three to five lines or three to five exchanges between the two of them. And... It's it's gets annoying really quick, so I turned my banter setting down to like story beats only, and even then, like the banter was barely tolerable. Um, but yeah, like all that to say, uh, consistency in writing just felt non-existent, um, and there is that critical choice point in the story, and it really only feels logical and true to phrase character to make one choice um and i mean the game also reflects that in terms of just like how the story plays out um i i looked at spoilers just or, or like at the other route because i personally just did not feel like i wanted to um even for like completionist sake i was just like i that that route just does not appeal to me um and it also just doesn't feel like true to Frey's character especially like after everything that she learns um during like the whole quest for the truth and stuff so um like I know that was really it was really just like what I thought of what the entire time when Frey is like in that critical juncture it's just like what is is driving her to to go home um and I don't think that the the writing uh really speaks to that at all because she she genuinely has nothing she has like um at the end of her time in on earth her home like the place that she's living it gets burned down um so she has literally no home um she only has like a cat that she ended up leaving with another character in the story um like, she she truly has nothing left on Earth, so is like, on one hand, it's like, okay, I can understand wanting to go home because, like, it's familiar, and at least you know how the world works there, um, but, like, as the story progresses, like, as I said, she is experiencing and expressing, like, interest and, and excitement over the world, and so it just seems weird that, um, she's like jonesing so hard to go back to earth um 
so and especially like it just feels weird that that choice is given after um you're shown the truth of everything which like i said that's probably one of the better story beats so um but yeah in terms of like the banter and stuff that i mentioned earlier like it really is about the same level as like if if you're if you are annoyed with this then you probably are also annoyed by deadpool and marvel dialogue because it's the same level of like comedic prowess in that it's not there um but of course the issue is with that um reception uh, is like the people who are saying that are, are tend to be cishet white gamers and they would never apply that that metric to Deadpool or the MCU, um, and so that's why people were really pushing back on like, hey, you wouldn't have this sort of criticism for these pieces of media because like this is exactly the same sort of snark, and this is the same sort of wit that powers Deadpool, that powers mcu that powers all that dialogue um so it's just unfair for you to be applying your ruler so strictly to this one situation just because the lead is a black woman um versus the leads that are not black women so yep that is sort of the wrapping up um all the bad um in terms of the good there was actually like a decent chunk of stuff that i really liked about this game um sort of continuing on the vein of story um the story starts very slow, I will say. There are 12 chapters in all, and I would say the story doesn't really start picking up until, um, like, chapter 7. So it is unfortunate in that there's a long way to go through. Um, it, the, I will say, like, the the game, like, it was never, like, I was itching to play it. It was more like, well, I spent the money on this, and, like, I'm having an okay time. So I'll keep going. Um, and I'm glad that I did because I made it to where it, the story picked up and like actually was very compelling, um, and really enjoyed it. Um, th- this story really talks about themes of like belonging, um, the impacts of hero worship, and then also the importance of community, um, belonging and community, I think are really important aspects because, you know, Frey is, um, an orphan. She's been through the traumatizing event that is the foster system in the united states um and then she's also a mixed black woman so like life has not been kind to her um and so she's pretty much just standing on her own right uh flying solo um and so for her to be able to like experience actual community and and actual friends who support her um i think that was really um that was really encouraging to see in terms of just like this is the the difference that the impact that you can make um and that um connections with people are important um i will say that the downside of it is of course just like it is sort of the trope of the strong black woman um she is an independent actor um there is no sort of support that she has like all of um the all of her powers are hers um which is great and also at the same time um like it does play into that trope a little bit um and of course i'm not black so i'm not the final cultural like arbiter on this um would definitely love to talk about this game with um black game devs and black gamers who have played this game 
um, just to get your 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 input and your perspectives too, because I think that is incredibly valuable, or you know, more valuable to this conversation than mine is. Um, so those are the really important themes that this game, the story, uh, really explores. Like I said, the story takes a while to pick up, but once it does, it's actually quite good. Um, I think what had happened was like there was one Thursday where I was like oh let me just play some Forspoken and like happened to get into the really good story beats and I happened to just like beat the game that evening um because just like the story pulled me all the way through um and I think that's a that's a mark of good writing um it just sucks that it took like I think probably about 25 hours to get there um 25 hours is probably a little generous because i was running around doing all of the thing like little mini side quests um just because that is how i game unfortunately um and it's a little bit unbearable to watch on stream but um yeah like uh, it took a while for the story to become actually really cool and very compelling instead of just like eh, it's whatever um and you know, like like I just said, uh, this story is also positive re representation for mixed black folks, even though the story itself is clumsy. Um, like, I know another, like, a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast was because I had, um, I was talking with a friend one time about um, mixed representation, just mixed in general representation in video games, um, and they were talking about their experiences and, like, how... Um, I think it's in Dragon Age, there was one scene where um, the mixed, there's a mixed character, um, and, like, the way that this mixed character refer referred to themselves and, like, talked about um, their reception and how they were perceived, like, really threw my friend for a loop um, in terms of just, like, this felt bad to hear. Um, you know, we're, we're, we play video games to escape, um, to hear stories, um, to take a brief respite from our reality, right? Especially RPGs. We're playing those to immerse ourselves in that world. Um, and so then it becomes very jarring and very upsetting when we hear stories that um, about us that take those really crummy pieces of real life and, and sort of jam them in there. Um, and so this, at least, um, you know, from someone who is adjacent to that experience, and obviously don't have that experience exactly. I technically am mixed, but like uh, between Taiwanese and Japanese, like I am two different types of Asian. I'm not like too larger you know races like us mixed together so i'm like adjacent to this experience and that my culture my heritage is of my cultures and my heritage are not similar um but also you know there are there are um i guess similarities they're they're more akin to each other than um you know someone who's mixed white and black um so yeah, this um, this was really good representation for showing mixed black folks and, and black folks that, like, there's a space for them in the fantasy world, um, that they can be the heroes of a fantasy story. Granted, I think there could have been more um, important characters that were people of color. Um, I think there are obviously other fantasy stories that do this representation much better. Um, you know, I'm thinking of... Um, of the fantasy series uh, Children of Blood and Bone, I think it is, 
Um, and that is written by a Nigerian American author, I believe. Um, the series that I'm thinking of that does this better is Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Um, and Tomi is a Nigerian American novelist. Um, so obviously this is a black created series. And so obviously does representation for black folks way better than any other, um, you know, media creation from anyone else, um, especially from, you know, compared to Forspoken, which was created pretty much by white people. Um, so yeah, it's obviously not the be all end all in terms of representation and fantasy, but it certainly is a, a good part of it. Um, I think overall the potential for the material itself is quite good. Um, you know, just sort of the execution, which <laughs> unsurprising, um, that's generally how it is. Like the material is great. Just how it was executed, just kind of piss poor. So, um, yeah, in terms of like some of the story beats that I know that I've heard from my friends who are mixed that, um, you know, they don't really enjoy, um, like the really big part of this was Frey's mother, um, in a flashback that you get to see during the major story beats, like when you're discovering the truth of everything, um, this character says explicitly, like, I wanted you and I had to sacrifice our relationship together and our time together because of this curse that was put on her by the main antagonist in the series or in the, in the, um, in the game. Um, and there's also, I guess, interestingly enough, there's no discussion of race at all in the story, which uh, say what she will. Um, I think it would have been nice to at least have that acknowledgement because, um, it, it becomes very immediately clear that Frey is mixed. Um, her mom is a white woman, and then, you know, that just means that her dad had to be a black man. Um, so there, like, I think that's really important to just have that, um, you know, story beat of you were wanted. Um, and I deeply am and remorseful that we couldn't spend time together because of, you know, the story beats and stuff. So, um, but yeah, there's, otherwise there's no real discussion of race in the game, um, which, you know, I, I think that the story would have been richer for it to explore some of those themes and how they inter intersect because, um, I mean, on one hand, um, I I'm firmly in the camp of like we don't need racism in fantasy um because you know fantasy is supposed to be exploring beyond the the bounds of reality um and so we don't need racism and also at the same time I think it would have been really interesting for Frey to come in cuz you know she's she's transported in from real life New York City into a magical world where I guess they they don't care about race um and I think it would have been interesting for her to, like, sort of work on that reconciliation of, like, you know, of this is a, a vital part of my identity. And um, that is, you know, that uh, basically impacted how I was treated when I was living in New York City. And somehow it now is no longer a factor. Like, I think that would have been cool to hear about. But um and so those are like the the like content parts that were good, um, and then switching over purely to gameplay, um, the gameplay itself was actually like pretty fun. 
um, once you get the ability to like run around the map and start switching between your spell systems, um, the game and the combat is actually incredibly smooth, very, very enjoyable. Um, like I said before, like before the major story beats happen, I was like, okay, the story isn't that compelling, but I am having a great time just running around, exploring the map, um, and, like, combat is incredibly fun. Um, you do have, like, there are four main spell systems, and once you get, uh, there, there are unique spells in each of those spell systems that allow you to switch between the magic um, very rapidly, um, which I felt was really fun. It really added another, um, layer to combat that made things flow very smoothly. Um, I did for a while switch manually between spell systems, which made combat very clunky and slow and not enjoyable. So once I started, like, actually, (laughs) I guess, playing the game the way that it was supposed to be played, it was a lot of fun. Um, so that, um, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun to do, um, and just felt good. Um, like I said, I was, uh, when I wasn't looking at points of interest on the map, I was actually running around and trying to find enemies just so I could play out the combat because it was fun. And, um, each of the spells that you learn, um, there's what's called like a spellcraft system where you improve your spells. Um, so that's what I'm doing now in the post game is like running around, um, improving all the spells, um, and doing some of the post game side quests and everything. Um, and yeah, just like having full reign of the map and my abilities is really fun. It just makes exploration really fun. And I think that is a big part of open world games is the exploration aspect. Um, so I guess overall, like out of 10, I would rate this game a seven. Um, if you were interested in this game and really wanted to play it, but you didn't get a chance to grab it on release or you didn't have the funds to get it on release, I would say, wait until it goes on sale. Um, it's a decent game. It is not a must play. Um, and I think that, like I just said, the gameplay is pretty great um, in terms of exploration and combat. I think it can really help to buoy your experience when you're um, slogging through those first chapters where the story beats are few and far between um, and the story feels stale. Um, like, I think my overall impression, and I think I might have mentioned this before, is like I'm not ever itching to play, or like at least pre major story beats it was like i was never itching to play forspoken it was kind of like it's in my steam library it's a massive game so i do want to finish it so i can uh get it off my computer so i can go back to playing other things in my steam library um i just sort of use it to pass time and now of course now that i'm in the post game and like i know everything that happens i'm like you know the post game content is a lot less sort of pressing um but i'm still happy to fire up forspoken run around the world fight some monsters and um yeah just just explore and and um have fun with those real smooth uh exploration mechanics as well as combat stuff so um yeah that's my review of forspoken um hope you guys uh that gave you some things that gave you an honest review and like material to think about for if you want to pick it up or not um i'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with closing out all right and we are back from the break 
Um, so as you may know, the last segment of the show is called What's Your Nonsense? This is where I talk about um, something that either I'm into that nobody else seems to be into or talking about or something that just makes me happy. Um, and let me tell you guys, I did think about this for a very long time because like, I just feel like things have been either just like average or less than average for the past few weeks or like the past month or so um so this is this kind of feels like it's scraping the bottom of the barrel but um i think you know actually might end up doing an episode about this at some point but my nonsense for this month is shadow and bone season two um like I said, there's a lot that I can say about this particular topic, um, and I'm probably going to have an episode about it, but um, overall, the series is fun. Um, I read the books, um, and like this season, I was really excited because they're getting into... Um, so, as you may know, Shadow and Bone covers not only um, the book itself and the book series Shadow and Bone, but there are um, more books set in the same universe um, called The Grishaverse by Lee Bardigo. Um, I also, fun fun fact, um, Grisha is actually like the shortened like nickname version of, I think, Grigory um, in Russian. So, uh, and, and the Grisha are magic users. And so this would basically be the same as uh, calling your magic users Greg, which I think is very funny. So um, Lee Bardigo's World of Greg is what I call it, um, but it is commonly known as Lee Bardigo's Grishaverse. Um, but so anyways, the Shadow and Bone series, like the first season covers the first book in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, as well as incorporating some of the characters from the... Um, there are a couple other companion series. One of them is called the uh, Six of Crows, and the other one is called... Um, Oh boy, I don't remember what the other one is called, but basically there are two other like duologies that are written in the same universe, um, and the cast of characters from Six of Crows I really like because they are um, doing heists all the time, and I'm a huge sucker for heist movies and, and stuff, so um, yeah, season two has been really, uh, I mean, it's been fun to watch so far, I'm on se uh, episode six out of eight, so I'm almost done. Um, but yeah, that's been enjoyable, so that is my nonsense. Um, plenty of actors of color in that series, so, um, but of course the main thing that I will be talking about when I eventually do my podcast episode on Shadow and Bone is their handling of, um, people of color, so, um, and, and how Lee Bardigo handles her world building, it's very strange, so... That is my nonsense. Um, if you have made it this far and you enjoyed what you've heard, thank you so much for listening. And um, please uh, swing by my Patreon page. It's uh, patreon.com slash nonsense and noise pod. Um, this is a completely independent run operation. I do all the recording and the editing myself. Um, there are a couple different sponsor sponsorship tiers. Tier 1 is a shout gets you a shout out on the episode. Tier 2 gets you access to bonus episodes. Um, I was going to try and do some bonus episodes this month. Um, we'll see how that works out. Um, if I'm able to get this thing edited in time, um, then maybe I'll put out some bonus episodes where I talk about Octopath or something like that. Um, something that makes me happy, something that's sort of like frivolous that I can put behind the paywall. Um, 
And then topic, or sorry, tier three gets you access to pitch topic ideas. Um, and I have done a couple uh, tier three ideas in the past, um, talking about the world of Avatar, The Last Airbender, um, as well as Boys Love. So um, you can swing by patreon.com slash nonsense and noise, uh, pick a tier that uh, suits you the best, and your support would be greatly appreciated. Um, if you want more of me, you can find me on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at Kato Not Kato. That's K A H T O N O T K A Y T O. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, and then Twitch, I've been trying to stream a little bit of my Octopath experience. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter for uh, notifications when I go live there. Um, Instagram, I just sort of have for um, the memes and stuff. So um, follow me there. And um, yeah, thanks for listening and hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye.